are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I got to tell you that growing up as a kid, Christmas was incredible. Um, It was only good and positive and fun. And it wasn't just because I was on the receiving end of the gift giving. (laughs) I'm sure that had something to do with it. But in all of our life, church, family, home, school, um, we lived in anticipation during this season to celebrate Christmas Day. And so the the way that it worked at, at our house was we all got together on Christmas Eve, just really my immediate family, my mom, my dad, there are four of us kids, and we opened gifts from one another. And then on Christmas Day, we would go over to my grandma Hills and we would have Christmas with her. And then we ended up at my grandma and grandpa Harvey's. And that was where all of our aunts and uncles were and our cousins. My grandma was a great cook. All the adults sat at the table. All of us kids sat somewhere else. And then we couldn't wait until it was time for like gift opening. Even at church, it was special. I remember the, the Sunday before Christmas, we would all leave with a brown paper bag. Does anybody, anybody in the room at all? Okay, I got a few. I got a lot of people. Even. Orange and an apple maybe and some candy. The orange and apple ended up in a fruit bowl at home, but you hang on to your candy, right? So Christmas was, was great in every way. When, when we finally at my grandma and grandpa Harvey's were ready to open gifts, everybody was sitting around and all the gifts were given to you and somebody would say, go. And paper started flying all over the room. And that whole gift opening process was over in less than three minutes. And the paper in the trash bags. It wasn't that you weren't grateful. You would say to somebody across the room, hey, thanks. You like it? Love it. Been wanting one. Thank you. You know, but you you just didn't take a lot of time. I remember the first time that I went to my wife, who was then my girlfriend, to her extended family Christmas. And here's how they did. They got all the gifts given out. I'm ready for somebody to say go. But instead, they had the youngest person open one gift, thank the person that gave them the gift, tell them how much they loved it. Then the next oldest person would open one gift. And then the next person, and then the next. And there were a lot of us. And that cycle would repeat over and over and over again. We had to take bathroom breaks. And, and I saw people getting up and going to the kitchen to get food and water. They were famished. I, I didn't have the heart to tell them they were doing it wrong or that this could have all been over with in a matter of minutes. Um, so now that I'm, I'm a dad, I've got my own family. Yeah, we open gifts one at a time, starting with the youngest, yeah, yeah. As I get older... The season of Advent and Christmas seems a little harder. Do you know what I mean? It's like Advent has become real. And and I fully understand what it means to live in a period of waiting. And here's why. Life happens. Relationships break. Break. People get cancer and other related illnesses. Wars break out. 
divorce happens. And when one of us falls into temptation and sins, it affects all of us. And I find myself as I get older waiting for a better day. Waiting for a day when we won't be dealing with all of that stuff. Waiting for the day of the Lord. It's, it's where we are in our text this morning. We, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians, if you want to open a Bible, chapter 5. These people understood what it was to go through difficult, complex, troubling times way better than you and I understand it. They, they were relatively new in their faith, but they were also living under heavy persecution because of their faith. Life was hard. And so when Paul writes them, do you know what he talks about? Okay, this, this one letter, 1 Thessalonians, that has five short chapters, and in every chapter, every chapter he says, but it's okay because there's a day coming. When Jesus is coming back, and everything's going to be different. And in the second chapter, he says, I know what you're going through, but it's okay because there's a day coming. And in the third chapter, he says, I understand it's hard, but it's okay because there's a day coming. And in chapter four, he says, I get it, but there's a day coming. And in chapter five, he says, I know, but there's a day coming. And so he moves to this conversation that says, in light of all that you're going through, and in light of all that you've been through, and it's a lot, and the constant pressure that you feel to conform to culture. I mean, because how easy would it be to just say, this is too hard. This life is just too hard. The pressure's too much. You could just throw in the towel. In light of all that you're going through and the constant pressure that you feel, he asked this question. When Jesus returns, how will he find you living your life? And I'm going to leave it there because I don't think it's only a good question for the Thessalonians 2,000 years ago. I think it's a good question for you and me. When Jesus returns, how will he find you living your life? And let me borrow more words from Paul who wrote to the Thessalonians. Will he find you and will he find me standing firm in our faith? So before I read you the text, let me give you some context. The conversation actually starts a chapter earlier in chapter four, midway through. And Paul is answering lots of questions about Jesus' return. So here's what I believe. I believe that you have a lot of questions too. In fact, I believe that these last three weeks when we've been talking about Jesus coming to earth again, Advent is not just identifying with those who were anticipating Jesus' first coming, but Advent is about people like you and me waiting for his second coming I got a feeling that in these last three weeks, since we've been talking about it, you've got a lot of questions in your mind about Jesus coming back to earth. And Paul tries to answer some of their questions. Like, like here's one of their questions. So what about people who became Christ followers, Christians, but they've already died and we buried them? So what about them when Jesus comes back? And Paul says not to worry. He answers the question by saying, here's what happens. Those people will rise first to meet Jesus in the air. And then those of us who are still alive, along with them, will be caught up in the clouds with Jesus. 
And then he says, but about how and when this is going to happen, I shouldn't write to you because you know and I know that Jesus will come unexpectedly. Nobody knows when and nobody knows exactly what that's going to look like. But here's what you should focus on. Be on your guard. And then he says, be alert. And then he says, build each other up. So since we don't know when or how that coming is all going to happen, here's what we should do. We should really focus hard on being ready and helping others be ready when Christ does return. And then he sounds like a pastor. And he says this. God chose to save you through Jesus Christ. And Christ died so that whether you're alive or dead when he returns, that you will live with him forever. In other words, you don't need to worry. <laughs> if, if, if you are following Jesus, no concerns. The bottom line is one day you will be with Jesus forever. And that's how we get to verse 12 of chapter 5, where he talks about, so how will Jesus find you living? And so here we go. You ready? He says, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you. Who's he talking about? Well, those who care for you in the Lord. What does he mean by that? Well, you know, those who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. So what's the qualification? Well, it's because of their work. So you might say, Rick, I know why you're reading this to us, because that's about you. Well, I think it's about everybody else too, right? I think it's about anybody who does the work of ministry and admonishes you and cares for you in the Lord. So I don't think it's only about pastors. I think it's about a lot of people in your life. Now, this is going to feel like a list. So here's the next thing on the list. Also... Live in peace with each other. The list keeps going. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. How many of you would say, I'm idle and disruptive in the church? Just raise your hands. No, nobody. Encourage the disheartened. There might be somebody who would say, I'm disheartened today, Rick. I'm having a hard time. Help the weak. Be patient with absolutely everybody. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. The list keeps going. Rejoice always. Pray like it's your full-time job. Continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not, do not, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. And then he says, I want to pray for you. May God himself, the God of peace, Sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When he comes, 
The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. And then he closes the letter. He says, brothers and sisters, would you pray for us? Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. And then here's the benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Amen? So I want you to think hard with me. Will you do this? Just for a few minutes here, I'll ask you a question. I want you to give it your best shot. Here's the question. Do you think the church of Jesus Christ in America today, do you think Christians in America today live counter-culturally? Do you think Christians are very different than everybody else? Is it like Christians are kind of odd? Nobody else is like Christians. Christians do some unique things. There's a lot of things they just say, nope, we abstain. They give a large portion of their money away. They love deeply. Not only people who are Christians, but people who are unkind to them, they love them deeply. They help people like crazy. It's kind of like, that's how you know they're Christians. They're always helping people. Is, is that the way you see Christians in America today? In, in other words, do you, do you think if there's a Christian in a workplace, the Christian is odd, different than everybody else? They stand out, really stand out. Or for example, if there's a Christian at the school, does the Christian look different than everybody else at the school? Does the Christian stand out? Are people always looking at the Christian wondering what they're going to do because they know they march to the drumbeat, different drumbeat, I meant to say? Or, or would you say, I, I don't know, Rick. I, I don't know if, if, if we stand out. Uh, I don't know if we stand out or if we blend in. John Mark Comer, in his book, Tell No Lies, is that even close to the title? It's something like that. Live No Lies, thank you. Live No Lies. He says, as Christians, okay, our worldview, our value system, our practices, our social norms, are at odds with culture. I'm going to say it again. John Mark Comer in Live No Lies says, as Christians, our worldview and our value system and our practices and our social norms are at odds with culture. We, we constantly feel society shifting and we constantly feel the pressure to conform to society. But if we are faithful followers of Jesus Christ, we don't blend in. We are different. Our worldview is different. Our practices are different. Our social norms are different. Our value system is different. We don't fit in. We're odd. Are you odd? Do you stand out? Are you different from the others?
because that's what's happening in, in Thessalonica. So let me just tell you the story. Maybe you know the story, but in Acts 17, Paul and his traveling companion Silas, they, they decide to go to Thessalonica and they begin to share the gospel and lots of people come to know Jesus and a church is formed. I think I've told you before, not a church like meeting in a building like this. It was probably a network of house churches, but they were aware of one another and they knew that there were many Christians in the community. So what happens is there's an accusation. Here's the accusation. They are accused of treason against Caesar, the Roman emperor, because someone heard them say, there is another king who is called Jesus. And so because of the accusation, persecution breaks out. It gets so bad, it gets so heated, it gets so bad, Paul and Silas have to flee the city for their lives because there's the one who started the mess in the first place. Paul writes back to them later to say to them, when Timothy came to you, I was so glad to hear what he had to say. He told me that you guys are standing firm in your faith. You're not bending. You're not giving in. You're not compromising. Even in spite of your persecution, you are standing firm in your faith. And so he says, I just want to challenge you to keep growing in holiness. You know what that means? Living to please God. It's countercultural. And keep growing in love. Not only loving the people who are easy to love and fellow Christians, but loving the people who are persecuting you. That's countercultural. It's our only hope. It's the only plan. God's plan was never that his people would blend into society. Read the Old Testament. I've set you apart. I've made you holy, which means set apart, different than everybody else. But when the world sees your holiness, and when the world sees how deeply you love everybody, They'll be drawn to you. Not because you look like them. If you look like them, why would they want to join you? But because you're different. And they see the way you live and they see the way you love. And at some point they say, I've got to become a part of that community. See, the reason I stand here and talk to you about how Jesus will find us when he returns is because to really follow Jesus is a countercultural way of life. Paul says it another way in Romans. He says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. That's not who you are. You are followers of Jesus. I was in my car um, a few months ago. Nat and I were out of town. She was back at the hotel. I was running some errands. And uh, I got a call, and I looked at my phone, and it was a FaceTime call. And so I answered it. It was my daughter, Brittany, who lives in Cincinnati, and her little girl, Sadie, our granddaughter, only granddaughter, and then Tim, their husband. And um, they were saying, get Natty. 
get Nettie to the phone. And, and I said, I'm not, I'm not with Annette. Um, they said, well, go, go get with Annette. I said, well, I'm, I'm out running errands. They said, doesn't matter. Go, go back to the hotel. And I said, Britt, really? You want me to stop what I'm doing and drive to the hotel? Yes, we do. Sadie's saying, you're going to be glad you did, Ricky. We have something to tell you. So I said, okay. So I hang up the phone. I drive back to the hotel. I go in. I tell Annette, uh, Tim, Brittany, Sadie, FaceTime me. They told me to get you. I'm not with you. They said, go to the hotel. So obviously, they got big news. I, I couldn't begin to imagine what it was. Annette knew immediately. She said, oh, think about it. Zoe, their dog, their German shepherd they'd had for years, had to be put down. And she said, they got a puppy. Sadie's over the top. She's going to show you the puppy. I said, oh, yeah, that's what it is. So we FaceTimed them. They all come onto the phone. Sadie says, are you ready for the big news? And we said, yes. The big news was not a puppy. It was a baby. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to have a baby. Pretty exciting. Christmas is obviously special this year to us. And so they found out a few months later that, that it's a boy, and they're going to name him Wesley Cole. But I'm going to call him John Wesley. <laughs> Do you know what I've been doing in the mornings for the last few months? Praying for John Wesley. I got a list. Some of you are on my list. And now Wesley's on my list. And the other day when I was praying, I talked to the Lord about what the world would look like that Wesley would live in. You with me? I wondered what, uh, what the world would look like when he's 62, my age. Do you do that right now? Are you, are you thinking about your kids and grandkids in the future? And what society will they grow up in? And so here Paul envisions a society which Jesus named the kingdom of God. A society that had already begun at the coming of Jesus into the world. And, and in that society that Paul envisioned, Faithful followers of Jesus would impact every relationship in their life. So faithful following Jesus impacts every relationship. It affects everything about us. And so let me take you back through the list if you don't mind. He, he first begins by saying following Jesus is going to impact your relationship with your leaders. And he begins with acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love. And then he talks about those following Jesus impacts your relationships with one another. Look at the list closely. Live in peace with each other. Sometimes I think you just need to let something settle. Warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. You know somebody today who is disheartened. Help the weak. It's a broad term. Weak in whatever way. 
Be patient with everyone. Make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Always strive to do what is good. It, it impacts your relationship with God. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in, not for, in. Give thanks in all circumstances. It, it impacts your relationship with the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit of God. Obviously, prophecy was practiced heavily in the early church. Don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Really, for us, according to Scripture, hold on to those that are good and reject those that are evil. And, and what he's saying is that living counterculturally will affect every relationship in your life, and you begin to adopt and order your life around the practices and the disciplines and the teachings of Jesus. Tomorrow, Annette and I will jump on a plane and we'll head off to Nashville. And on Tuesday morning, I'll participate in a funeral for my friend and my mentor, Dr. Talmadge Johnson. Last night of his life, he goes to the church he attends for a Sunday school class gathering. And at the end of it, they ask him to come up, stand in front of the microphone and pray. And so he did. And from there, he walked out to get in a car and on the way home, experienced cardiac arrest and died. It's kind of what happens here. Paul says, I know I prayed for you at the beginning of the letter and I prayed for you in the middle of the letter. Can I pray for you before you go? And he prays. May the God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you. The, the, the word sanctify here is the verb form of the noun that we translate holiness. Some translations say, may the God of peace make you holy through and through. So God is doing something in you. God is changing you. God is working in your heart. Do you feel it? Do you sense it? Do you understand it when the Spirit is speaking to you saying, no, don't. Go. Stop. May he sanctify you through and through. May your whole Spirit, soul, and body, all of you, be kept. He's not only making you holy, but he can keep you blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in a few days, we celebrate Christmas, right? Jesus came into our world so that he could make you blameless, without fault, without guilt, innocent of wrongdoing, how is it even possible? <laughs> well, the Bible says that not only does he forgive us our sins, but he chooses to forget them. And so when we stand before him, he says, I, I see nothing. Nothing wrong. No guilt. No fault. Forgiven. Forgotten. Blameless before God. 
And the one who called you, he's faithful. He'll do it. My future rests on God's faithfulness. And, and that's really how we end our service today with a prayer. So I want to pray for you. And then in a moment, we're going to continue the prayer in a song. And you can pray, you know, where you are. You can come forward if you want to pray. You know, that's always optional, whatever you're comfortable with. Before we go, I think it's good for us to pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming into this world to make us blameless before our Father. And Father, we come before you today giving you thanks and praise for Jesus. that he would come to present us blameless before you. And so give us more grace to live and be a part of a society that Paul envisioned called the kingdom of God. Living counterculturally, loving deeply, And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Make this our prayer. As I rise strength of God go before lift me up as I wake eyes of God look upon being by side
excited for next week. We so hope that you'll make plans to join us. Don't forget Saturday night at 7 and then Sunday at 3 and 5. No morning services that week. Thank you for being here. Go in the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have a great day. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.